0: Let's stand together as the Lord calls us to worship. The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Psalm 108. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise, even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches the clouds. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise you and we lift up our voices to you that we might proclaim the excellencies of your name and your glory throughout all the earth. We pray, Lord, asking humbly before you that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, your people, today, that we might offer up praise and thanksgiving that is pleasing in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in our weakness as we seek to worship you, that what we do and say and think And the way even that we act today would be glorifying to you that our worship would be acceptable. Receive our prayers and our praises, our attentiveness. And Lord, we join our hearts and our voices now together as you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven,
1: hallowed be thy name.
0: Thy kingdom
1: come, thy will
0: be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and look to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and the one who covers their sins, hear the assurance of God's pardon from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, which perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Please turn in your hymnal as we continue to worship the Lord and sing together number 441, Jesus Shall Reign. at this time for the children's sermon. Well, good morning, boys and girls. It's good, good to see you all. Before we get started, I wanted to ask if anybody brought with you a verse uh, on the word honor. I received one just The worship service began. Uh, Excuse me, I had the mic muted. Uh, Thank you. So uh, let's go ahead and read these. Oh, come on, Simon. It's all right. Thank you. All right. I'm going to read these and then let's talk about them. And then I have a question for you about honor, okay? This is from Simon, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So what do you suppose that means they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from it yeah.
1: They're like they're trying to say like like I believe but they're actually in their heart they're not They're yeah. saying it to get out of the way yeah. of other people trying to do something you
0: know? Yeah I think you're right they say it
1: They say it instead of like believe actually believing in their heart
0: Yeah instead of believing in their heart I think you're right. This is honor. Matthew 15, verse 8, Jesus quoting. uh, It's, I think, fitting that we have the same one. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's from Samuel, uh, who gave us this one. Matthew 15, verse 8. It's like you guys were studying together. It's wonderful. Danny, uh, from Esther chapter 6. Verses 6 through 8, so Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn and the horse that the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set. So who was Haman hoping that the king would honor?
1: Yeah. Him,
0: himself. He was so excited to, uh, to sh- have everyone share in his honor. Um, I'm going to hold on to maybe a little bit of that. I would love to tell that story, but I'm going to hold on to it this morning, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love each other as brothers and sisters, and honor others more than your, you do yourself. That's a pretty tough one. Love each other as brothers and sisters and honor others more than you do yourself. So I wanted to ask you this morning about honor and I wanted to speak with you about some uh, verses from Micah chapter six, verse eight, where God is speaking to Micah and he says, God has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so for those of you young men who've been coming to men's Bible study, what does the word walk mean? What does it refer to? Walk humbly before your God. Does it mean there's a certain strut you should have as a Christian? A certain way you should walk? Any ideas? Walk Walk worthy. It's the way that you live. Paul says in Ephesians that the way we walk is how we live. And so I wanted to ask you about walking humbly before God. What does it mean to be humble? Anybody? Or humility. You may have heard it said that way. James.
1: To put people in front of you?
0: To put people in front of you. That maybe sometimes it is better to to love others by letting them go first. How many of you love to go first? (laughs) There was kind of a quick. (laughs) I'm conflicted. I I think we love to go first, don't we? If there's going to be a line or if there's good food, let me just go. And, and you know, actually on Fifth Sundays, and it it kind of struck me a year ago, that maybe one way that we as a, a church community, as a church family, maybe one way that we can honor those who are older among us is by having them go first. And so I have forgotten it a few times, I will confess, um, but I try to remember to say on Fifth Sundays as a way to honor those who are older among us, let's let them go first. If it was a race, you guys would win every time you would get there. <laughs> but it is a way to slow down and say, you know what? I can learn humility, and I can demonstrate it by, by just staying back. Let them go first. And somebody once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm just awful. But it's thinking about yourself less and wondering How could I love others and serve them? Just from what we read this morning, Romans 12, 10, love each other as brothers and sisters and honor others more than you do yourself. So let me pray for you that the Lord would help you in this and that he would meet you in it. Our Father, I thank you for our covenant children who sit here this morning. And I thank you for their early blessings that they proclaimed in the call to worship this morning with the other members of our youth choir. Lord, I thank you that, we could enjoy hearing Jesus loves me from their lips this morning. It's a reminder of the gospel that is proclaimed to us, that Jesus, who is the greatest of all, the king who is high and lifted up, who sits upon a throne, chose to humble himself and to come and serve us, to deliver us from our sins. Lord, I pray as we think about service that that would be our vision, that we would look up and see our Savior, see the way that he served us, And I pray, Lord, for our covenant children that they would think about that. That as they think about loving others as brothers and sisters, that they would seek to honor one another, to honor others in this room and in our church family by the way they love and serve and especially by the way that they're willing to go second, that someone else might be able to go first. Lord, I pray that this would be for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read Psalm 28. It's on page 793 in the green hymnal. Psalm 28 on page 793. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who are calm down to it. Hear my cry for mercy as I call out to you for help. As I lift up
1: my hands toward the most holy place.
0: Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil. To
1: speak cordially with their neighbors.
0: Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done,
1: and bring back upon them what they deserve,
0: since they show no regard for the works of the Lord and what His hands have done.
1: He will tear them down and never build them again.
0: Praise be to the Lord, for He has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. My heart leaps
1: for joy, and I give thanks to Him in song.
0: The Lord is the strength of His people, a fortress of salvation for His anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Amen. Let's stand together and turn to hymn number 644 as we sing together, May the mind of Christ my Saviour. This month for our pastoral prayer time, we're going to be praying for uh, the uh, chaplain ministry. Uh, In the PCA, we have chaplains in the military. We have chaplains who go and serve in hospitals and also in in hospice areas and nursing homes. And so we want to pray for them that the Lord would encourage them, that he would equip them to do the work of the ministry. We have the privilege of being able to not only support by prayer, uh, but also financially support the chaplain ministry. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. I'm also going to be using some verses from Psalm 40. As we consider coming into the Lord's presence, we're reminded that uh, unless we are deceiving ourselves, we are sinful people. And we need the reminder to come into His presence with honesty and with truth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that we may boldly come into your presence because of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is because of his righteousness that we may come in confidence, not because of the strength of our good actions or good deeds of service, not because of any righteousness that we have attempted to do, but simply because of him. Lord, we do pray that you would help us as your word says, It tells us in Psalm 51 that you desire truth in the inward parts. And it's helpful to be reminded that that truth in the inward parts has to do with our acknowledging of who you are and our admitting and confessing who we are in your presence. And so, Lord, as we consider our sin and your holiness, we confess that we are unworthy except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I I pray for your people this morning as we consider being in the presence of Almighty God, the creator of all the earth, that you would open our eyes that we might see the truth of who you are and also the reality of our sin nature before you. In the words from Psalm 40, verse 12, David said this, for innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a clear, true vision of what our sinfulness is before you, that we might confess it, that we might repent of it, that we might hate it, to truly, by your Spirit, see victory over sin because of what Jesus has done and not because of us. Lord, I pray that you would give us truth, And may, as we see the truth and the reality and the ugliness of our sin, may we truly be able to rejoice in the truth of the salvation that Jesus came to offer to sinners, people like us in your presence. And Lord, as I think about this, as we pray this month for our chaplains, I pray, Lord, that you would sanctify their hearts before you, that they would serve you in love and in gentleness and in the fear of the Lord. Lord, I pray for their heart before you as they go to share the good news of the gospel, whether it be with a fellow serviceman or woman, if it is going into a hospital room where someone has just received a diagnosis that is crushing, or whether they are visiting someone who is elderly in a nursing home. Lord, I pray that you would give them the words of life to share from your holy word. And Lord, I pray for their protection physically and mentally and emotionally that you would hold them up, those that are married, that you would protect their marriages, that you would protect their purity before you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this ministry, for calling men and women to do this, to share the gospel. And Lord, I do pray for our military and for the the heritage of service in this country that they give to us and a picture and an image of service. Lord, I pray that you would Help them to know that we are thankful for them and help us to also share that verbally with them. Lord, I do pray that you would bless us now as we prepare in just a few moments to come to your word. As we open the Bible and read from your holy law, I pray that you would open our hearts, that we would receive it as such. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Amos chapter 7. Our scripture reading this morning is Amos chapter 7 verses 10 through 17. Amos chapter 7 verses 10 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. You shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall be surely led away captive from his own land. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. As we said last week, chapter 7 begins the final section of the book of Amos with five visions. We looked at the first three visions last week. And just as a reminder, a vision in the Bible, a vision that God gives to a servant of his or to his people, is to reveal who God is and to show them his plan. In verses 10 through 7, we have a different vision, though not a vision as such revealed by God. It is a revelation of the stubbornness of human hearts and the hardness of sin. On the one hand, we could say that this text centers as a heated personal attack. Amaziah seems to be after Amos and wants to discredit him, his ministry, his reputation, and his words. And you know, we might be able to say that I can identify with Amos here. Perhaps you know what it is to be misunderstood or your words to be misrepresented. Maybe you know what it's like to be hated or disliked for no reason at all. However, as much as it might be meaningful to preach that particular view of this text, I think it is absolutely significant that we see that neither Amos nor Amaziah are the focus of this text. The focus of Amos chapter 7 verses 10 through 17 is the substantiation of God's judgment against the house of Israel. This text reveals the way that rebellion rests in the sinful hearts of people who would raise their fists to the heavens towards God's throne and say, Leave me alone and take your hands off my life. John Calvin wrote, and I read this two Sundays ago, unless God restrain us, our hearts will violently boil with a proud and insolent contempt of God. So actually, it bears true what the scriptures say that there is none who seek after God, none who would want to joyfully submit to Him, apart from Him changing our hearts None of us want him. Actually, in Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17, God condescends to his people. Is it a good thing that you know the wickedness of your heart? I ask you this morning, is it good to know that you're sinful? Is it good to be told you're sinful? Or is there something that rises in you when you hear it that says, how dare you speak to me that way? How dare you presume to know what happens in my heart and mind? And yet here in God's word, he condescends to show us how sinful we are. This is the way sinful man responds to God. And it's not polite. It wouldn't be a southern, God bless you. It is, I hate you. And the things that you say, because God's word exposes us. And our natural inclination is to deflect from that. Don't cast the light on me. Don't tell me what I am. Don't tell me what I cannot change. And yet God's word says in Hebrews chapter 4 that it is sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing of the bone and the marrow, revealing the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Perhaps for some of us, it's why we don't want to read the word of God. Because we can't bear to hear the truth. As we look at this text this morning, the sermon is entitled Confrontation at Bethel. And I want to look at the passage under three headings briefly. Number one, the challenged word. Number two, the unhindered word. And lastly, number three, where are you on the spectrum this morning? Number one, the challenged word. Notice that Amaziah misrepresents the message. He totally gets it wrong. He writes to the king, he says that Amos is speaking lies and sedition, he's even saying that there are others who must be part of the conspiracy because it seems to be growing and the land can't even bear all the words of this man. What Amaziah is saying, and it tickles the king's ears, he's telling him that the religious leader in Bethel who's responsible to hold up the the worship of the golden calf, what he's telling him is, I'm loyal to you. And this guy from the south is not. He chose political expediency in the midst of a message from the living God. Amos was sent as a prophet, and prophets were sent by the living God to warn God's people of coming judgment because of sinfulness and moving to political expediency. Trying to get people to pick sides or try to peg people. What group are you in? Or who do you support? or Are you with us? Are you with someone else? It always turns up the heat. It always does. But it's not about the truth. In John chapter 19, verse 12, it says that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. He was in his charge at the time. But it said that the people kept saying loudly, anyone who would deliver this man is no friend of Caesar. Political expediency. It's a deflection from the matters at hand. But it turns up the heat and people notice. False priests always omit things. Notice what he didn't say to Jeroboam. If this priest, Amaziah, was concerned about the spiritual nature of the kingdom... He would have told him the truth. He omits the basis of the threats. He doesn't even bother to say we're not worshiping God the way that he has designed. He doesn't bother to say that we've sinned before God. He kept back key parts of the message. If you were a messenger charged with telling the truth, he failed. God's woe was upon the false leaders of the people. God's woe was upon them. And he didn't even bother to tell them. And he also didn't tell them that Amos had prayed for God's people. And he didn't tell them that there was hope if they repented. All he was interested in was being in good with the king and having a good name. He wanted to silence God's word. Keeping back key parts was critical to that. Can you imagine having a message from God and someone doesn't bother to tell you the whole truth? In the book of Ezekiel, I read last week from 33 about how the people responded to the prophet's message. Hear what God's Word says in Ezekiel chapter 34 about those who are the so-called shepherds of God's people. And the Word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel 34, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, these who are the leaders. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but was driven away. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Amaziah is being named in that kind of language. Someone who didn't care about the sheep. He was worried about political expediency. And he makes it personal here in this fight. He calls him a seer. He says, go back home or else. We know how to deal with your kind here, in fact. He says, there, go home and eat bread there. Basically, peddle your wares somewhere else. If you need a living, you need a way for people to give you money. If this is how you're going to fill your belly, go home. Prophesy there, but don't prophesy here. It's a jab. He doesn't believe that anything that Amos is saying is a prophecy. A false priest is a hireling. He is not a spiritual leader. He is not someone who's concerned with the souls of God's people. And he suggests that Amos is a hireling. Nothing more than that. Just someone who decided, I don't really want to work, so I'll be a preacher. He's spouting for personal gain. He's not concerned about people. That's the charge that Amaziah makes against Amos. And lastly, the challenged word, he mocks the message. Notice in verse 11, and it's subtle, but I think it's significant. He says, thus Amos has said in verse 11. But if we were to take a little trip through the book of Amos, even if we just went to chapter 1, Amos has said repeatedly over and over again, Thus says the Lord God. Amos chapter 1, verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 16. He has said over and over again, Thus says the Lord, it's not my message, Amos says. The false priest isn't honest about the message or its source. And he reduces the issue at hand to personal attack. Is this kind of person a leader? This was, by some accounts, the high priest at Bethel. He had spiritual authority. He was given it. But unwittingly, he lays bare the human origin of the, that the entire worship of Israel was false. All of it, every bit of it, he, he shows. He says, never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and the king's residence. You and your God have no place here, is what he's telling Amos. This is our house. This is how we worship. This is how we like it. And we don't want to hear anything that you have to say. So, number one, the challenged word. Number two, the unhindered word. Amos does not take debate, he does not take personal offense, which I have to say, and you know, is not easy. He challenged his integrity, his calling his place in life. And he also didn't take the bait by making this a truth war to have to win. And I believe that one of the most significant things that he didn't do was decide that he needed the affirmation of Amaziah for what God had called him to do. And notice, and it's in our hearts, it's in each of our hearts, all of us, that sinful man legislates and says we have to affirm and celebrate the things of others. The sinful man legislates it, and we demand it by force. And yet God won our submission by sacrificing His Son upon the cross. Tell me, what is the wisdom of God? Is it the political expediency we see in this text? Amos refuses to take the bait. He speaks in three ways. He reestablishes the source He says, I was no prophet. I was actually a farmer. The Lord took me and he said, go. The true prophet here, Amos, was not a religious professional. He had not been a carefully nurtured student in some prophecy school. He was a lowly countryman doing just fine on his farm that God was taking care of him on. When God came, when he was in the field, he said, I was in the field and the Lord took me. There was an unmistakable divine calling upon his life and he went by constraint to Israel. He was constrained by the living God and his spirit in him. Amaziah suggested that it would be better for Amos to go find an easier field of ministry. And I imagine that it must have been appealing to him on some human level. I think all of us have that tendency in us to just think, you know what? I can go home where it's quiet. I can go home where it's me and the animals, or at least me and the predictability of my own house. And yet, he went to Israel by constraint. It was a divine God God calling in his life. He could not say, I won't go. He was compelled to go by the living God. And he repeats the message. He says, now therefore, in verse 17, hear the word of the Lord in verse 16. And then again in verse 17, thus says the Lord God. Amaziah took a defiant stance against God's word. And what was God's response? Judgment. We said a couple weeks ago that God took his stance on the wall of 10 against Israel, his people. And here Amaziah has the gall To stand and say, I will take my stance with you. Can you imagine the pride that says, do your worst to the living God? I cannot. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, lest you think or we think that this pronouncement of judgment seems harsh or maybe a personal attack, a volley back from Amos to Amaziah. You want to attack my integrity? I'll attack your family. It wasn't that. Actually, these words are not empty. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 30. And in God's telling his people about his covenant with them. These are the curses that he says. If you disobey me, this is how I will respond in your life. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Then in verse 32, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long and there shall be no strength in your hand. Those were God's curses upon them. This was not a personal vendetta from Amos. This was God's judgment upon his people. And Amos comes and repeats the message. Notice sinful man demands freedom to make his own choices with impunity. We believe somehow, in some twisted way, because of our sin, we believe that if I make these choices, it only affects me, and it only affects what I do. Don't say that what I do affects other people. It doesn't touch you. And yet we see here clearly in the text, that because this man took a stand in the face of the living God, God crushed his home. There was no turning back. God was judging him it. And you remember when the people of God rose up after they'd been delivered from Egypt and they started to complain against Moses and Aaron. Do you remember what Moses said to them? God has heard your complaint, but why are you complaining against us? Who are we? Your complaint is against the living God. Are you willing to admit that in your heart of hearts, dear people today, that some of your frustrations and some of your anger And maybe some of your unbelief and disenfranchisement, maybe with the church or with God's word or with his people, is not actually about those things. It's about your sinful anger, perhaps, at the living God for not giving you the life that you wanted or the family that you hoped you would have or a spouse who would say things the way you thought they would or children who obey always the first time, every time or a perfect job. Or the perfect life or place to live? Do we understand the deceitfulness of sin in our own hearts? We demand freedom from God. Let me make my choices. But notice, God won our salvation by the Son of God willingly submitting Himself to the Father's plan of redemption. The King of the universe made Himself a servant to call you and welcome you into the kingdom. That's the gospel. Sinful people who hated him. And lastly, the unhindered word. Amos rests his case. That's it. There is no further reason to talk. He doesn't say anything else. In fact, he has nothing else to say. Because from the time Amos chapter 1 began, he has been speaking the word of the Lord. So I want to ask you this morning in the last moments that we have, Where are you on this spectrum this morning? To ask it another way, what is your relationship with God's word, with the truth? All of us have one. Nobody's exempt from it. Everyone has a relationship with the truth of God's word because God promises that his word does accomplish what he intends for it to. So the spirit of God works with the word of God to bring it to our hearts, to show us the truth (coughs) Of who Jesus is and the truth of our sinfulness, and there is by nature a confrontation there. I ask you, what is your relationship with the truth? There should be in your Christian life, you walking with Jesus, a confession of and repentance of sin in your life. If someone were to walk up to you on the way out of church today and said, You know, I was just thinking about you this week and I wanted to pray for you in this coming week. What are some things that you are repenting of that I might pray with you for? Your jaw might drop, but that should be the normal conversation between brothers and sisters in Christ. What are you repenting of? Not so you get juicy tidbits of information, but so that my heart might be drawn to yours and yours to mine, that we are helping bear the load with one another spiritually. What are you repenting of? And if you say this morning, well, preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. Please come talk to me. And I mean that. If you say, I don't know that I have the faith to believe that that's what a believer should do. Come talk to me. I would love to sit down and talk about what a lifestyle of faith and repentance is. Where are you on the spectrum this morning? What specific sharp edges are you tempted to shave off? of the truth of God's Word, either for yourself or for others. Notice Amos doesn't blink at Amaziah. This man loses his mind. This priest loses his mind after hearing all that Amos had to say, that God had to say to his people. And Amos didn't blink. He told the truth. This is what God's Word says. And he didn't back down. And I have to say that in my heart of hearts, because of my own fear of man, There are times when I speak the truth and someone responds in a big way and I retreat in my heart. I retreat. Are you like that? Do you retreat in your heart with the truth? Either because you know you respond negatively or because you've watched someone else do it. Do you abandon the truth because other people don't like it? Satan's strategy in our lives is simple. Make sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. And we are all, every single one of us, being transformed into the, either into the image of Christ or the image of this world. Into which are you being transformed today? Nobody's neutral here. Another way to ask this question, where are you on the spectrum? Is there an area of your life that you have relaxed in disobedience? Do you know what it means to relax? We are a culture that knows how to do it, I think. You get a big, nice recliner. You sit in it. Make sure it's one of those that has the gear shift on the side so that the legs go up. There is a cup holder beside it or a little table. It has snacks and a cold beverage. We relax. So it's that idea. Is there an area in your life, dear people, where you have relaxed in sin? Where you just rested it? It's the inclination of the sinful heart that says, this feels right and I like it better. And in fact, my friends agree with me that this is right and it's, this is a, a big one in our day. It's better for my own mental health and my own self-care. Almost as though that's a fence or a, a barrier, a force field. That if I say mental health or self-care that somehow nobody can get in my bubble. I ask you, Will you pray about that thing? Will you go to the Lord about it today? Is God's delight over your life worth surrendering an area of sin in your life? Is God's delight over you worth surrendering that to Him? Jack Miller said in in a book, The disclosure to yourself of how self-centered you are is your unwillingness or inability to surrender yourself and your agenda to God in prayer. The way that you know, in other words, the way that you know you are self-centered about anything in your life is your total unwillingness to take it to God. Because if I give it to him, he's going to give me the truth. I know how the word works. If I go to him about sin, he's going to put his thumb on it. So I'd rather not read it. Because then I don't have to see it. Then I don't have to be told. Dear believer, dear children of God, run to Him. Confess your sin and your pride and your unbelief. Humbly ask Him to renew your conscience. Make you sensitive to His Word and obedient to His commands. His Word promises forgiveness for those who truly repent. What would keep a child from running to its father? I can think of three things. Sin and pride and unbelief. I want to end by sharing a quote with you from Ian Wright's book, God is Always Better Than We Can Imagine. The next time the enemy tempts you to despair, that perhaps you have not repented enough, not done enough to pacify the living God, Think on this. The Savior went more willingly to the cross for his people than you go to the throne of grace for forgiveness. Our confidence rests in him and in him alone. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the blessing of your word. Lord, I thank you for time to look at this passage this week. And for the confrontations that you have brought to my mind, and I pray, Lord, you are bringing to the mind of your people this morning. Lord, I pray that we would not salve our hearts with thinking that our sin doesn't touch anyone else. We know that you are the living God and you see all things, even knowing the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, even now this morning and throughout this Lord's day, that you would do work and business spiritually with your people that by Your Spirit You would not allow us to be comfortable. Wake us up, Lord, if we are sleepy. May our hearts be sensitive to Your Word and willingly and joyfully, rejoicingly submit to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's now stand together and respond to God's Word by singing the hymn insert that's in your bulletin, Search Me, O God. Thank you. as we take an offering to the glory of God. Thank you, Callie. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that in this service of worship, we may return back to you your tithes and our offerings, that we might proclaim the gospel to our hearts, that it is you who provides for us. Lord, we pray that you would continue to have your hand upon this church, that you would use this offering today for the furthering of your kingdom. That the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be spread abroad, even through our obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. of our lord may the lord hide you in his shelter in the day of trouble conceal you under the cover of his tent and may he set you high upon a rock amen